Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff Radio. Uh, today, we're going to have Melissa Odin who is an abortion survivor from a failed saline abortion in 1977. The whole purpose of this interview today is to educate and hopefully stop as many pieces of the puzzle from missing as we possibly can. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for taking your time. Um, just like my husband was speaking about earlier on uh, in the nursing field where he was going over tonight's interview and that they were even surprised that there was any survivors that would um, take the time to educate people and understand really, I mean, even open up the eyes and the ears to people who are in this position that have a choice so that they could hear your story and hopefully make the right one, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I, um, you know, I gave up my anonymity. I gave up comfort. I gave up, I think what people would think was a pretty safe, comfortable life um, to live my life very publicly and share my story in that very hope. Well, you're the perfect example of what we stand for, which is real Christians under fire, for you to just open up and talk about this. This is, you know, of course, political agendas have been put around this topic for years and years, and that's not what our intentions are here. But uh, I wanted to bring up some scripture before I let you go ahead and tell your story. But the thing that I was thinking about today before you came on was, The Holy Scripture says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But he came that we may have life and that we may have it more abundantly. So Jesus is all about the life and and the more abundant life. And unfortunately, the topic abortion lines up right with what the enemy wants to do, according to this scripture, John 10.10, which is to to steal these children's destiny. And so I'd like you to go ahead and just take your liberty and tell your story so hopefully, you know, people will not line up with the enemy any longer and they'll line up with Jesus, our Lord. Absolutely. We all know that we're made in the image of God, right? And so what greater threat is there than to wipe out the very image of God to the extent that abortion has? It really is I truly believe the greatest evil that has existed in our society. And that was meant to be my fate 40 years ago. It was in 1977 that my birth mother had a saline infusion abortion uh, forced upon her. I spent most of my life believing when I finally knew the truth. I I then believed, of course, that it had been her choice uh, because that's what we hear about in our world, right, is that it's a woman's choice. Um, But what I've learned in recent years is that the abortion was literally forced upon her. And I think that's an important piece for us to educate people about. You know, my birth mother is not alone in having an abortion forced upon her. I, I can't even begin to tell you the numbers 
of people who have reached out to me or when I'm somewhere will share their story in a whisper to me saying, you know what, I was coerced into my abortion. Mine was forced on me too, right? Um, these dynamics still are happening in our world today, but that was um, how the process began. It was forced upon my birth mother as a 19-year-old college student. Um, like many instances of abortion, it was her family that was responsible for forcing it upon her. My grandmother, her mother was a prominent nurse. And so she had the means at her disposal to make this forced abortion take place. She had the knowledge, right, about the scientific basis for when life begins. But she also knew how to make a secret forced abortion take place on her own daughter, bypassing hospital regulations and procedures with the help of her friend, the local abortionist. And so they forced this abortion upon my birth mother, believing nobody would ever find out it wasn't her choice. And most certainly no, nobody would ever hear from me. If people look up online the saline infusion abortion, what they'll find is that it was the most common abortion procedure back in the 1970s. That saline infusion abortion involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding the preborn baby in the womb. And the intent of that toxic salt solution was to poison the child to death. So if people look it up online, you know, they'll read about how children like me are called the red-skinned or candy apple babies because that toxic salt solution would turn the skin bright red as it peeled it away and moved internally into the organs. Uh, they would also read that it usually lasted about 72 hours. The child's life would be effectively ended by that toxic salt solution. And then premature labor was induced with the intent of that deceased child then being delivered in that step. What we actually know through my own medical records is that I didn't soak in that toxic salt solution for just three days. I actually soaked in it for five. For some unknown reason, they just could not successfully induce my birth mother's labor with me. They tried time and time again over those five days and they were not finally successful until the fifth day. And so then I was delivered in the final step of that abortion procedure at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City, Iowa. And of course, by all means, the medical professionals thought the abortion had succeeded in ending my life. And they were, of course, shocked and surprised when I was actually delivered alive. You know, people in our world actually call life circumstances like mine the dreaded complication of abortion, a child who lives. And I know back then this was very much seen as a complication. As, you know, people will hear about, it's taken me most of my 40 years of life to really piece together all of the events surrounding my arrival into this world. But, you know, one of the first things that I was told years ago is that when I was born alive that day, the abortionist actually demanded that I be left in that hospital room to die. But... Of course, God has kind of continued to allow the truth about my life to unfold over the years, and I now know that it wasn't actually the abortionist who gave that demand. It was my grandmother once again. Not only did she force the abortion upon my birth mother, but she was there when I was delivered alive. And, you know, here I was, her firstborn grandchild, and she still looked upon my life that day and demanded that I be left in that room to die. 
This was not what she wanted to see happen. My grandparents apparently were not supportive of the relationship that my birth mother had with my biological father. They were actually engaged to be married. And so I was a huge complication. And, you know, unfortunately, I think, especially in our medical world, you know, circumstances like mine are seen as something to be avoided, something that um, is a threat to, to people's work, right? And so I understand how she can make that decision about my life. Um, But I am forever thankful that there were actually nurses on staff at that hospital who defied her orders. And I now know that there was one nurse in particular who rushed me off to the NICU that day after people battled back and forth about what was going to happen to me. My APGAR when I was first delivered alive was a six, which, you know, given the circumstances of my life, a six was pretty decent for somebody like me. Um, But then within five minutes, I was a two. And so suddenly this nurse rushed in and um, whisked me off to the NICU. And I was contacted by another nurse just about a year ago now who shared the story with me. She was there in the NICU that day when the other nurse rushed me in. And she said, you know, that darn Dr. Kelberg messed up. And she went on and she said she just kept gasping for breath. She just kept gasping for breath, and so I couldn't just leave her there to die. And she's one of my greatest heroes in this life. You know, somebody who was willing to put their job on the line that day to do what they knew was the right thing to do. What a radically different world we would live in, right, if everybody lived that way every single day. Absolutely. Heart. She had a heart. Absolutely. Obviously, was uh, in the moment probably not even thinking about her job, just thinking about you. Yeah. And yeah. running and getting you the help that you need. And uh, and we thank the Lord for the miracle of, of her being there and every other step forward so that you could and can come forward and tell story, your story and help others realize. By the way, since you know statistics, how many have survived? Yeah, that's a really tough number to get to. We we don't have any firm number about the number of abortion survivors, but in my work um, with survivors around the world, I've now had contact with 254 other survivors, which to me is is a huge amount. I mean, but when we, it of is. course, put it up against, you know, 60 million lives lost in our country alone, um, you know, I know that that number then pales in comparison, but statistically, I know the number is so much higher than anybody ever would have recognized. I know when I wrote a paper in college on this whole subject, I was blown away at the statistics, at the numbers, at the ages, at the just every every documented figure that they have out there. I, I just, you know, a grandparent and and a parent as well that that the the numbers are so astronomically crazy. Yeah, I think it's hard for people to wrap their brain around it, right? I mean, it's like we say, these children have no voice, and it's so true. It's easy to victimize someone who will never have a voice, never have a name, never have, you know, a face. And I think when it comes to medical professionals in particular, you know, I meet a lot of nurses, especially 
in my travels and I hear their stories of what they've seen, whether it was something that they were actually a part of or something that, you know, they knew happened at their hospital or, you know, something they were asked to do. And so many medical professionals carry those experiences around with them. And so I remind people, you know, if we've lost 60 million lives to abortion, then we have hundreds of millions of men and women's lives affected. And then the extended family members and then all of the medical professionals, right? The number just goes on and on. Do you recommend to them any type of help that they can get from the trauma they've seen? Yeah, it's tough, right? Because there's no one single healing program that fits for everyone. And, um, you know, I'm not sure. I would suspect that at the state level, when there is, you know, a group like the pro-life um, doctors, I can't remember exactly what term they go by, but I think of Kentucky in particular, I know that they have a really strong um, pro-life medical group. And I would suspect that somebody in a group like that would know of a great medical, a medically based um, healing resource. You know, for me, I typically work with people um, who are affected at a family level and uh, also who, you know, usually are affiliated with pregnancy centers. And so, you know, I, I like to remind people pregnancy centers not only exist for someone in uh, a difficult time in their pregnancy, but they also exist to provide healing support after an abortion has occurred. So, you know, going to a local pregnancy center for some of their healing resources, um, there are some great places like Rachel's Vineyard, um, who also would be helpful to somebody. Yeah, we also did an interview with the pregnancy center here out of our area uh, by a lady named Bev Klein, who started Living Alternatives. She's got Father Heart, which helped young pregnant ladies as well, and other types of ministry, uh, adoption, so forth. Uh, That's another uh, interview that we did, and that can help others as well, looking for Mm -hmm. different means. Um, and adoption and so forth. You know, one thing, one topic, since we're bringing up adoption, that when I was writing this article, I was so surprised about back in the 70s, they mentioned the amount of babies that were available for adoption. And, you know, there is still a fertility problem out there. But because of the way the abortions went, the children have, are, are not there to be adopted anymore. I think it was like one in nine you know, there used yeah. to be nine children, and now it's one out of nine available to even adopt. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's one of those common misconceptions that people have in our society, right? People have asked me a lot over the the years, you know, if, if we don't abort these children, who's going to adopt them? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I have to pause and say, well, that's a faulty argument, right, in the first place. Uh, it's yeah. not okay to end someone's life. Uh, because we think they might somehow be inconvenient. Um, But also it's just, uh, you know, it is a a misbelief. There are more families waiting for a child to adopt than there are children available to be adopted. You're so right. Exactly. That's what I researched and found that I I was amazed on that. Yeah. Since we especially live in an area where there's a lot of adoptions out here. Mm-hmm. Why just this particular area? So, well, um, I'm not sure. Uh, also, what I wanted to ask you was, what are you exactly doing now? Other, I know you're speaking at colleges, and whoever asks, 
you to come aboard and speak, but what else are you doing? Yeah, a lot of the work that I do is, I mean, of course, people know me from being in the public eye, right? I've testified before Congress a couple of times. I show up in the news, those kind of things. But what most people don't know is that I'm always working behind the scenes. Um, And most of that work is really helping other abortion survivors. I founded the Abortion Survivors Network in 2012. And, um, you know, as I shared, we've had contact with over 250 other survivors. And so a lot of the work that we do is, you know, simply supporting survivors. Most survivors feel incredibly alone in their experience and living in the kind of society that we do. Uh, And so we're constantly working on supporting survivors, um, helping them find adequate um, healing services themselves. Um, You know, there are survivors, yes, who are missing limbs, who have, you know, significant physical impairment. But by and large, most survivors that I connect with do not have significant physical issues but they do have a lot of emotional, um, spiritual, mental issues, which is something, of course, that I battled long ago in my life. And so um, we work to, to connect them with somebody who can help them in their own community. And then we're always working on ways to educate the public um, and not just through speaking, right? I, I mean, I love going out and meeting people and being able to share my story, but, you know, my prayer is always that God opens that door to whatever he feels is the right way to reach people. And so I had a book published um, about a year ago now called You Carried Me, uh, and we'll actually be shooting a video, no, that's very soon, in the next week or so, um, with multiple survivor stories feature for the very first time. It's not going to be terribly long. We want to keep it fairly short so people can share it on social media, but um, we're going to continue to be putting out more and more videos uh, in the hopes that that's something that people can watch and then pass along to other people. Great. That's fantastic. I would love a copy of that and attach it to this, to this uh, show. Yeah. When are you going to be? It will be the weekend of, what is that, June 20th? Does that sound right? Whatever the next, yeah, that's not next this weekend. Week. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think there will be four, maybe five of us as survivors that are featured in it. So we're we're excited. And you're just going to put it on social media or? It will be on just... YouTube. So we have a production team who puts it together. I've worked with him on some things in the past. And so um, I do know that they put it up on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, we'll hopefully be getting it out to some of the major, you know, Christian and pro-life news outlets, too, so they can push that far and wide. Beautiful. All right. Well, before we uh, end this, I'd like you, if you don't mind, to pray for, first of all, anybody that would be listening to this and feeling the um, hurt, anger, or whatever they might be feeling for uh, putting their child through an abortion. And then anything else you feel like you would like to pray for, for the listening audience? I'd appreciate Mm it. Father God, we just come to you today in prayer, that anybody who who is listening that has been touched by an abortion, that they not only hear the truth, of course, about what happened to me, but they also hear that there is healing to be found. What I haven't, of course, shared a lot about today is that in my journey to get to where I am today, I've been united not only with medical professionals who cared for me, but many members of my biological family, including my birth mother, who's a huge 
part of my life. And so I want all the listeners to know just as I love her, they are loved and forgiven just like she is. And Father God, we just pray that no matter what role someone plays in an abortion or what they did or didn't do, um, that they can look upon their past and know that you make good in all circumstances, that whatever they've experienced, you can make good with that, Lord. And we simply need to say yes to you and allow you to use those broken pieces or those difficult experiences to further redeem and restore other people's lives and ultimately restore a culture back to you, Lord. And so we just pray that everyone listening uh, recognizes that, that you will use their experiences for good and give them the strength, the courage to say, yes, Lord, and follow you wherever you may lead them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and coming on and blessings with this video. Thank you. We're terribly excited. Definitely. It sounds great. And all that you set your hands to, be blessed. That's a wrap. Thank you.